0: Welcome in, everybody, to another episode of our Creighton Volleyball Wrap-Up Podcast. I'm Matt DeMarinis, joined as always by Megan Ballinger. Um, we're going to break down Creighton's 2-0 weekend against... Uh, sorry, I had a little pause there. <laughs> Creighton's 2-0 weekend against Georgetown and Villanova. They swept the Hoyas on Friday night for the pinkout match and then turned around on Sunday and swept villanova um so that's nine straight set wins for the jays since they lost the five sitter against yukon so they've kind of done all they can in terms of results um leading up to this big weekend coming up at marquette and at depaul um which you know it's weird that it's that we're that we're not even at halloween yet and we're going to be talking about the big east race either being over or either being you know up for grabs for the last month of the year right because I, I think if, if 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 marquette wins that's that's a two games they're up on creighton with one month to go if creighton wins they have the tiebreaker over marquette via the season sweep but they're also tied with one month to go so it it kind of will set the stage about how much drama we'll be seeing down the stretch of this Big East title race, because I think it would be a, a stretch to say with Marquette having UConn in the back um in the rearview mirror and Creighton in the rearview mirror with the season split. I, w- I would feel other than injuries uh pro- cropping up to key players for the Golden Eagles, I would consider that race over if they win on Friday because they'd have two games up on Creighton. I wouldn't expect them to lose two more with the slate they have left. So, this is kind of the week that will decide how much drama we will have down the stretch, I think, in my opinion. Um, but let's get, we'll get into that a little bit later, too. Let's talk about uh, Georgetown and Villanova and what the Jays did to um, get those things done in straight sets. Um, Pinkout match starting on Friday. Uh, you know, the, the thing that stood out to me, Megan, and I'm curious to hear what you think is, I thought just technically Creighton showed how superior they are to the Hoyas. Cause I didn't think physically it was that much of a mismatch. I thought Georgetown had, you know, length. I thought they had some athleticism. I thought they had power on the pins. I just didn't think they could ever get in system or in a rhythm. And I think that's a, a testament to Creighton's kind of technical superiority from a servant pass standpoint and from, you know, just a, an efficiency standpoint with how they operate their offense.
1: Yeah, I agree. I mean, I thought Creighton just fundamentally was a lot better, kind of what you alluded to. And I think, Jimmy you see that in the numbers too. Um, One thing that really stuck out to me in this game was blocking. I mean, just the disparity between Georgetown and Creighton. I mean, Georgetown didn't have a single block and they had four errors. And then Creighton had, you know, 22 block assists and one solo block. So, I mean, just the disparity blocking wise, I think that just shows a lot of, you know, technique and also just knowing kind of where your opponent's going to go. And um, clearly, Creighton kind of made Georgetown one dimensional and they were really able to set up their block and play really good defense around it.
0: Yeah, that the defense around it was pretty, was something that maybe was better than it has been in past weekends, right? Because normally, Yeah, I don't know. I just don't think Creighton's done a great job um, up to this point of covering up the seams that are opened up, you know, around the block, if you will. There's kind of been some balls that normally you'd see Creighton getting up, but they haven't been lately. I thought from a court coverage standpoint, they weren't giving Georgetown many options. I think, you know, that Zorn four shot was there a little bit, but that's a hard shot to hit in the first place. And you kind of want you leave that open almost for teams to try it because you know, it's a difficult shot to execute. But other than that, it felt like Creighton's court coverage around their block was really good in terms of, you know, like, Hey, you're going to hit through this because we're not going to give you many spaces to, you know, around it. Right.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, I just saw it. I mean, Creighton from, you know, the servant pass game definitely won and that was evident. I think, I mean, anyone just walking through the gym, I think can see that, you know, the servant pass differences and just, I thought Creighton was overall really pretty clean, um, just passing and you know not getting ace too much. So that definitely lent and you know to their effort and really helped them out during the match. Yeah,
0: I th- you mentioned clean. I think uh, disruptive and clean was interesting too because I thought from for someone who took a step forward this weekend as a disruptive server, but an aggressive one who can, you know, mix tempo and everything. Ellie Bolton had a really good weekend, you know, from the service line. Uh, that's an interesting little, you know, you're trying to see who kind of, you know, makes some progress in their in their individual game that can obviously elevate the team's performance. It, you know, it felt like Ellie Bolton was able to go on some serving runs this weekend that will not only bode well for her confidence, but for Creighton's ceiling knowing that they have someone else other than Keeley Davis or Abby Bottomley who can go back there and serve an aggressive ball, can mix speeds, um, could hit different zones and can disrupt a team's offensive rhythm.
1: Yeah, I think so. And I mean it just it's helpful, you know, when you have rotations, a lot of times, I mean, you're your coach is setting, you know, those servers up to be in specific rotations to match up with maybe a little bit of a server team that's not as strong on the other side of the net. So I think just from that perspective, I mean, if you have really good options and you have somebody, you know, that can hit zones well and put some good pace on the ball and really make it challenging for those passes across the net, I think it just, it helps you out so much and, you know, hopefully you can go on runs with multiple servers. Like you said, I mean, you just, you know, you hopefully have really strong servers in every single rotation. But, I mean, it's probably not going to happen, you know, every time with every person you're putting back there. So, I mean, I think it'll just really help them hopefully go on runs and extend runs um, when they have the opportunity.
0: Yeah, it, and it it's probably also helps, too, that Ellie's a good ball handler, too. So, you're not just sticking a serving specialist back there. She's someone who can play defense and, and can pass and set and keep the offense in system when the ball comes back at you, right?
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, you'll see sometimes maybe a middle doesn't have, you know, really good defensive skills, but she's a great server and Mm -hmm. the team, if they're smart, I mean, where are they going to hit at? Probably the middle that doesn't usually defend. So I think, yeah, you kind of see the differences there when Ellie's back there and she can even be in there getting digs and helping extend points that way. And then, you know, go back and hit really good serves and um, just impact the team in a lot of ways and hopefully go on those runs and extend their lead.
0: Yeah, her her emergence and and Kendra waits, you know, emergence this weekend as, as disruptive servers is big. I think for for Creighton ceiling because there those are two really good defenders, two really good back row defenders, and they can you know Creighton's big transition offense isn't compromised with those two in the back row. Um, you know, having to see around the block, having to communicate with the offense after they get off the service line, right? They're really good at just getting into their getting into their technique and and finding the spots on the floor where they can transition from defense to offense, right?
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, you even see, it. I mean, for a while there, they were taking Tendra off and putting somebody else to serve. And, you know, not saying that that was hurting them. I just think it helps the continuity of, you know, when you have your setter in there, that's in there all the time. And if she's able to hit good serves and she's a really good defender. Yeah. So, you know, if you're able to keep her in there to play defense and a set, it just really helps the continuity of it. And not having to use that extra sub is just nice. And, um, you know, if she can really get good, consistent serves over that, I think, you know, they'll want to keep her in there, especially for her defense.
0: For sure one of the thing that was kind of apparent from this match was that, that, that carried over from the weekend prior. And we, we talked about this a little bit against, or I think we talked about it a lot actually was after, you know, against Providence, the, dis- the, the, the distribution across the board in terms of how balanced it was with the outsides and, you know, that middle right side attack. We, I think we, I felt, you know, that for a three setter, I think the middle right side got a little bit more than you'd probably be accustomed to, right? That's a little bit of a high number to expect for the right sides to be getting. But the disparity here I in this one, I think, was a very healthy balance. You know, you had 49, 49 total attacks from Keely Davis and Nora Again, Jayla Zimmerman didn't play it all this weekend. So Nora and Keeley were that left side with those left side pins mainly. Um, those six rotation outside. So they had 49 swings together. And then when you break down Kiana, Annika and Naomi, um, that's 36. Add in Kendra's four, uh, four dumps from the middle, that's 40. So you're looking at 46 on the left side and then 40 in the middle right side. That's incredible balance.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think that's really great, honestly. I mean, like you said, it's just, it's really, really well balanced and, um, you kind of just see the transition too of Kiana hit 385, Annika hit 462. So they were really able to kind of get them going and mm. they can be really efficient too. I think, I mean, you just see the attempts versus the kills. I mean, they're just, they were in really good positions a lot of the times um, when they were getting their attempts too. So it's good to see, um, you know, Kendra finding, you know, when to hit them um, on slides or if it happens to be in front of the middle or in front of the setter. Um, from that middle traditional middle attack, but um, yeah, I just think that distribution is very, very balanced. And you know, then she called her own number four times and was rewarded with two kills. So I think that's kind of your ideal spread of offense. Um, and it doesn't make your outside, you know, carry too much of a load. Um, and doesn't make you too predictable for the other team, too.
0: Yeah, and then it just makes it when you look at the efficiency across the board, I can't help but think it's related, right? I mean, when when Nora's hitting around 270, when Keeley's north of 260, that's really good for your left sides, and then you have like you said, Kiana at 385, and then Annika at 462. That's a really healthy hitting percentages for your right sides and middles. Like, so offensively, it's not it's no shock that you were well north of 300 as an offense when you have that type of balance. You know, when your left sides above 250 and your right side and middles are well above 350, I feel like you're operating. You know, you're firing on all cylinders as an offense because that means you're getting you're finding solo blocks for hitters to terminate and you're keeping the defense. Like you said, I've, I've been saying all season, you know, make those blockers guess, keep those middles attached to the setter for as long as possible. So they're not getting back. So they're not cheating out to the pins. I and mean, that kind of was all on display on Friday, didn't you think?
1: Yeah, I thought so, and I think you saw a little bit of, you know, that middle opening up, and then Kendra was able to, you know, take that dump and put it really hard um, to that three position right in the middle of the court. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, I just thought it was really well spread. And, yeah, they're blockers, I think. I mean, kind of lost a little bit just trying to figure out kind of who to key on. And, um, you know, when you're not prepared for it to go a specific place, it just makes it so much harder, and you'll see middles leaning one way, you know, thinking it's going – Somewhere, and then you know they'll cheat and go outside or go to the right side, and then Kendra's wide open, so just creates such an awesome look for them offensively and gives them so many opportunities.
0: Yeah, then the you know, the uh, oh, the Villanova match today. Sorry, <laughs> I don't know why I got <laughs> so many pauses today. I'm out of whack. Uh, the Villanova match today, you know, Villanova was you know, they came into the weekend hovering around the top 100 in the RPI um, and then they were in position I think to to uh, you know kind of get a leg up on that top four spot um, or that four spot I guess because the top three are have kind of created some separation with uh, Creighton Marquette and UConn at the top but they had a tough weekend they, they got swept by Providence maybe looking ahead to Creighton a little bit. I don't know if they thought that the Friar match would not be the challenging one and they just weren't prepared mentally to play. Um, and then they came in and honestly, they kind of got rocked today. Uh, you know, there were moments where, you know, I think it was, you know, they were in it a little bit. Um, I think that, that initial serving run, I believe in set one by... Yeah, it was by Ellie Bolton. I think she was doing a really good job of making some pace. You know, she was attacking zone one a lot. And I think that got Villanova's offense out of rhythm. But she was also, you know, nail, I think what is it zone one that's in the front on the right side? Is that what that, that's one, right?
1: Uh the back right. No uh back right, two up. is front right.
0: Yeah. Gotcha, gotcha. So yeah, she was attacking those zones with the short serve, doing getting a really good job of placement, just right over the net, and then it just dies. Um and it got Villanova's offense all out of rhythm, especially in that first set. would they hit? They hit 030. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's breaking rhythm from the service line, honestly. You're you're not even close to in system at that point if you're terminating like that. Um and then they got better in set two a little bit, they got an early lead. I think they were up 11 9 and it was kind of back and forth, and it felt like they had you know gotten some enough momentum in set one that they were able to carry it over. Then Creighton just ran them over. I think it was when you factor the start of set three and the end of two after they grabbed that lead. I think it was something like 30, 33 to 9. I mean that that's just that's just wow. getting that's just getting steamrolled. What what, do you, what what from what from an execution standpoint changed in the middle of set two? Did you think? Did you what what helped Creighton kind of grab so much momentum there, where it would just it just never was able to swing back like it normally does in a match.
1: Um, you know, I thought they were just solid, like fundamentally. Um, and I did think Villanova at times just made some mistakes that you know are just kind of unforced errors. Mm. Um, but I think Creighton also put them in positions, you know, and maybe just making them uncomfortable. Um, but I thought they were really solid um, behind the service line and. There were a lot of instances in this match, too, um, and this weekend where, you know, certain players were able to go on runs. And you saw that from different players, um, which is really exciting to see um, for Creighton's, you know, standpoint. But, yeah, I don't know. It just it seemed like they were just executing things. I just yeah. felt like they were in the right positions and blocking wise. I thought they made it difficult on Villanova's attackers. Um, so it just kind of made it easier um, for them and put them in really good positions to score points.
0: Villanova is also a really emotional team too, right? They're one of those ones where if you get on a roll as as their opponent, you can get them sideways for a good portion of the time. I thought that's kind of what happened a little bit. You know, Creighton got rolling and that boosted their confidence and Villanova maybe got a little bit in their heads and it, it killed theirs. So that's maybe – you know, when you see sustained runs like that where it's over – a long period of time, multiple timeouts, multiple stoppages, and it never changes. It feels like it's just Creighton settled in and Villanova doesn't have any um, any way to calm themselves down enough to execute a first ball kill and get themselves back in it, right?
1: Yeah, I feel like Villanova really didn't have an answer there, you know, for quite a while. And then, I mean, Creighton opened up that third set. I think they were up, what, 16-2 to two or something crazy, just like yeah. – insane you know to be up by that many points and Villanova I really didn't think like threw anything at them and again I thought they were making a lot of unforced errors so yeah Yeah, I don't know an interesting swing but
0: it was very interesting too because Creighton went back to the locker room between sets two and three and they came out you can they came out with some purposeful energy I felt like they had a game plan about how they wanted to at least get things started in set three Villanova did not it didn't seem like they prepared very much for set three. Like they, I, it looked like they were just trying to stay loose because they didn't go back in the locker room. They hung out on the court. They kind of just, you know, the reserves just kind of passed to each other and the coaches just had kind of a conversation separately, but there wasn't a really, it didn't look like there was a lot of focus. It looked like they were just kind of, you know, trying to keep the blood flowing and wait for game three. Like they had a plan of what they wanted to execute and didn't really need to reiterate it. And then when Creighton came out and it was just, you name the facet of the game creighton was scoring out of it they were blocking better they were serving more disruptively they were executing offensively i mean 17 to three I, I as much as creighton's dominated you know in the big east i haven't i can't remember a 17 to 3 set that started out like that you know especially one that like i said set two was lining up for this to be more competitive than it was and it just flipped and it, it and then you see 17 to three and you're just like I mean you you're done at that point you're not you know they did they did get themselves back into it to a degree but I think that was more about Creighton just feeling like that thing was a wrap and they their consistency dropped off as opposed to anything Villanova did to get themselves back in it
1: yeah I agree and I'm sure I mean I'm sure that was a point of contention right when you go into the locker room you're like we need to take care of this and You know, just even from just playing a really clean set, I think you're always trying to be better. So you come out and you're like, let's make this third set our best set. Like, let's get out to a really good start. I mean, I Creighton has had issues, I think, this season at times where they have a slow start and then they're kind of digging themselves out. I think, I mean, you know you're capable of going up big on this team and you just want to show up and play a really good, you know, last set hopefully and finish up that match and play really clean volleyball especially going into your following weekend, you just, you know, you want to play well and feel mm-hmm. good about, you know, playing in front of fans and in that game atmosphere, <laughs> I think, and coming away, walking away and just like feeling really good about it.
0: So how do you, how do you feel about set three then? Because, you know, as a, as a team like leader, that's trying to get them, you know, consistency was the theme of the weekend. We need to be more consistent more often. You start off 17-3, to three and you're well on your way to feeling pretty good about how you finish this thing, especially how you trended. You controlled set one. You stepped on the gas in set two and put it away. It was the most lopsided of the of the three sets. And then set three was trending to be even more lopsided than two, but Villanova kind of got back into it a little bit because you took your foot off the gas and didn't execute the way you were executing in the first 20 or so points. How do you feel in that locker room after that if you're creating
1: I mean, me as a person watching, I didn't feel good about it at all. I just felt like it was very frustrating. Yeah, it was very frustrating to watch. I mean, you're up that big. I understand allowing a team maybe to go on a few runs, um, but I just felt like they let Villanova go on longer runs than they should have. Um, And when you're up that big, I mean 17 to 3, I mean the game is, you know, you have a few points to score and you just let Villanova go on huge runs. I just I think they got a little bit complacent and I understand it's hard to, you know, keep that focus and you're up that big and you're kind of like, okay, this thing's a wrap, but you have to, you know, take care of your side and you have to score points. It's just, Mm -hmm. there's no excuse for letting a team come back, you know, from that far down on you. I do not think so. Yeah. I don't know how they, I mean, I don't know how they would feel about it. Obviously probably not very good and the coaching staff I'm sure isn't happy, you know, with Mm -hmm. that sort of kind of let up in that third set.
0: Because I think it's like it's kinda like you're alluding to here a little bit. Seventeen to three is is done, in my opinion. There's I mean, Villanova went on a bunch of runs, Creighton had to call timeouts, and it still ended up being a seven point margin. But if that thing is like twelve to three, that might be, you know, that might give Villanova that might give Villanova enough time. If you're getting complacent at like twelve to three, if that's when it sets in, Villanova has time to rally, come back. And maybe win it and then you're shocked at the that fact that you're even starting the game four because you felt like you put them away and you don't know what what went sideways to lead to that right so it's more about the big picture isn't it if you find yourself up 12 to 3 10 to 3 and when you and then the complacency sets in and then the inconsistencies start to creep up maybe that's not a big enough deficit to survive it like today was right is that kind of what you're thinking
1: yeah, definitely, and I mean, let's say you're in a fifth set and you've just had this nail-biter game, you know, and you're up 10-5, to 10-2 or something. I mean, hmm. it's not that many points, right, to get caught up well, and then one a team goes run, on a right? short run, yeah, yeah. yeah. A team goes on a short run and all of a sudden they're on top of you and, oh, we're only going to 15 points. So it's just, you know, from that standpoint, I think that's why a lot of times, like, you have to play mini games to yourself within a volleyball set. Yeah. Like first to five, yeah. first to 10, first to 15, first to 20. Like it's just it's just little games. And I think when you break it down, I mean, you realize maybe there's one serving run within a, a game to five. Maybe there's two. But if you just keep on pushing and progressing in those like five point increments, you just, I mean, you have to keep that focus. You just, mm-hmm. you have to.
0: Well, it, it bit them against UConn, right? They were up seven to four in the fifth. And ended up losing that by three. So the rest of the, the rest of the set was 11 to five Yukon. So that's kind of what you're talking about. Yeah. You're up seven to four, but you're only going to 15. So Yukon's two serving runs away from you being on the other side of that thing. So, yeah, it is. Yeah. Control, they do have a recent, you know, a recent uh, memory of that going sideways on them when it felt like they were in control, but didn't do the things to, you know, put one more run together where Yukon's feeling the pressure. Where UConn's feeling the heat, or where someone else is. So, yeah, as as dominant as seventeen to three felt, because it again, it was everything going wrong for Villanova, everything executing right for Creighton. Yet it ended up twenty five to eighteen, and you are kind of wondering how, because that that's it doesn't feel like UConn's got enough time left to score fifteen more points in this thing when it's seventeen to three. It feels like, well, we just got our tails kicked let's just ride this thing out for the however long it takes Creighton to get to 25. And then we'll regroup after that. But they, they had time to get some momentum and it felt weird the way it ended. It didn't, you know, if Creighton swept them, Villanova never got to 20, but it felt like Villanova was ending on a high note and Creighton was ending on something that had to be yeah. reevaluated in practice this week. Right. Because they are still searching for that consistency. They want to be, they want to start, you know, that upward trajectory where they're peaking going into December and the end of November, right? And weirdly, because of the way the third set ended, it felt like they didn't, um, you know, get that springboard into this week of practice, right?
1: Yeah, I think so. I mean, I don't think you leave that match and you feel super, you know, good about it. Obviously, it's great to get the win and everything, yeah. but... Just the overall performance, I don't think, you know, you you go home and you're like, wow, we, you know, we played so great. I think there were moments, obviously, where they played really well and played really clean. And, I mean, they were dominant overall. Mm-hmm. But, mm-hmm. yeah, to end, to end the game, I think in the fashion that they did, it just – it did create some questions about the consistency and, you know, just ways that they can hopefully, you know, see themselves become consistent over an entire set and then hopefully over an entire match
0: isn't, isn't a big part of what I'm just trying to assess the tenor of what we're currently doing right now. It sounds like we're being a little bit more overly critical of Creighton. And then you look at them and they're 20 and three, right? So it's not about Creighton's results. It's about what Creighton's expectations of themselves are. And I think Kirsten, Kirsten Booth addressed it in the press conference today. It's not about how we're playing now it's what we think our ceiling is. So when you're assessing the now you're doing it through the lens of like, what's the gap left between where we're at now and where we think we can be by the time the season's over. Right.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think if you, you know, if you play under Kirsten, I mean, you just, you come to know that, right. Like, we're always striving to be better the next day. That's, that's always the mission and to play the best that you can as a team. I mean, it's really not enough, you know, to be a team. I mean, you have to be the team and play well and hopefully get better. Hopefully you got better, right? Hopefully your team played together better. It's just, it's always that step, right? I mean, that's, that's the thing about wanting to be, you know, it's never going to be perfect, but I mean, striving perf- for perfection. I think, I mean, that's always the goal, right, to get as far as you think your team can and to play as well as they can as a unit. I think that's the biggest thing that, I mean, you'll win, right? The players, they got to win, but they're just thinking about how can we be better? I mean, yeah. how individually can we be better? How as a team? Can we be better? And be prepared when the time comes to play a really great team.
0: Yeah, because it's the, 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 the opponent is going to change week to week. But if you're, if you're constantly better than the version of yourself that was on the court the match prior or the day prior in practice, then you can feel good about the process you're going through because you're becoming better versions of yourselves along the way. And, you know, every – to a player throughout your career and all the way through Kirsten, it obviously permeates on down. You talk about being process-oriented, not result-oriented, right? So when you are process-oriented – what you get out of it is if you're constantly measuring yourself against yourself and that's what Creighton is as a program because they've achieved so many great things that they're constantly measuring themselves against their own success in order to push the bar in order to raise their level. So if you're a better version of yourself than the day you were before or the weekend you were prior, you can see that it's tangible for you and you can feel like all right we're improving. Each step as we go through this process, right?
1: Yeah, I think so. And sometimes you might not see that tangibly, right? Like you might not see that in the box score. Yeah. But you kind of see it all come together as a team. And I think that's the biggest thing. I mean, Craig and obviously like I mean, they've done really well this season, as you said it 20 yeah. and three. So yes. yes. I mean, here we are, yeah, picking apart kind of what they've what they've done and things that they can do better. Um, but I mean, you see the results. Um, are rewarding but I think that's the thing about the process driven mission right it's like you always always want to be better so I mean I don't think when I was a player I was like you know we got this one and this one and this one and like here's all my wins right like Mm -hmm. I'm just trying to think about okay how can I be a better player how can I you know have a better connection with my setter how can we play defense better just things that break down the game I think and things that you can see a good transition in and see the level kind of raise in certain skills. And then hopefully you as a unit and you as a team can just put your best product out there on the floor and, you know, compete with other teams and beat Mm teams.
0: Yeah. So one thing going forward that we have to look through right now is, obviously Jayla Zimmerman's availability or unavailability. So, I mean, you know, very well, uh, Especially, you know, volleyball coaches in general aren't, um, you know, unless the injury has like a finality to it, like season ending, if there's a chance that there's availability in the near future, there's probably not going to be an update about that status to mark that date. Um, and that's just to give future opponents, like what's upcoming this weekend, Marquette and DePaul, you don't want them knowing if Jayla's out for sure this weekend or if she's going to be available. Because from a scouting standpoint, you want them to have to worry about Jayla Zimmerman. So whether she is or she isn't, and we don't know, I promise I would tell you if I knew. Um, we don't know if she'll be available next weekend, but Creighton was able to establish the left and right side now three matches without her um, Providence, Nova, Georgetown, all sweeps. Granted, not the level of opponent they're going to be facing this weekend against Marquette and DePaul. I feel like Marquette and DePaul are two teams that are better than the teams that Creighton beat this week. Um, But it's good to see good connection with Kendra and Nora and Keeley in that six rotation outside hitter, right? Back row, left side. And then the slide is working really well for Annika and Kiana. I mean, that's a ball that you feel pretty good about if Creighton's in system that Kendra can connect with those two and put it down. Right. So from that standpoint, Jayla or no Jayla, you feel pretty good about the four options that Kendra was working with in these last three matches. Don't you?
1: Yeah, I think so. And I mean, honestly, I think you need to have, you know, that spread in your offense because Jayla carried so much load for the team. Right. I mean, he got so many attempts from the back row from the outside. I mean, Obviously, I mean, those are just a few ways that she impacts the team, you know, not even talking about her defense and blocking and all that. But, yeah, I think you really have to spread out your offense and use all of your weapons because, you, I mean, you just have to have more options because, you know, you don't have that person in there that was taking, you know, quite as many swings as anybody else in the team, frankly.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and, you know, from a confidence standpoint, you want – as many confident hitters going into this matchup where you're going to need all the firepower you can get, you want them confident going in. You don't want them trying to figure out if they can do this or not against Marquette. So, you know, from Annika's standpoint, I don't know how did you hit the slide very much in college? Remind me. I can't remember.
1: I do not hit the slide. Okay. no,
0: You need that one. I couldn't
1: with my left side. Ah, Oh, no.
0: Um. But Annika, it seems like – I mean, she's really long, so her contact point is probably different than most slide hitters. Yeah, that's difficult for the defense in, in general. So you're talking about angles. You're talking about um, the height of your block. Um, is is Annika's length and just her her ability to get you know good elevation off one foot, the ability – is that really the secret sauce in terms of what makes – what has made her really effective these last three matches in executing that play?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think so. And first, a slide, you know, hitting a slide comes naturally to some players and to some players it doesn't as much. And I think both her and Kiana hit that ball really naturally. And the key to the slide a lot of times is you want to be chasing the ball to the pin. Okay. So you're almost a step behind it and you chase it. That's kind of how they teach it is you chase it out there and then rotate, obviously, off that left foot. Um, but yeah, I think they do it really well. And I also think their contact points are just really high. Mm. So it makes it kind of difficult. And, you know, maybe they're not hitting the ball straight down every single time with a ton of power, but a lot of times they'll hit that ball and it's like deep cross court into yeah. zone one where those where the middle back and the right back have to cross. And that's really difficult a lot of times for players to cross in that position. And a lot of times your setters and right back and your setters, maybe not as defensively inclined. Mm-hmm. Um as other players so a lot of the times that's a place that people can score if they hit that ball really well deep cross
0: court I'm glad you brought that up and analyzed it because I was you do notice when you see them hit that ball they do go cross court more than they go line and is that mm-hmm. just because they're trying to just mix up that defense as it's in transition to the point where even if they do get the ball up they're not um even close to organized offensively if they do have a chance to put it back at you
1: yeah, that's some of it. And a lot of times, obviously, your libero's in left back. So, I mean, that's your best defender. So, a lot of times, I mean, you'd like to hit away um, from her. And, too, if you hit to the right back in, that setter steps in and takes that, that first dig, then they have to use a secondary setter. So, then their libero's usually yeah. hitting. So, it makes them a little bit more easy to block, too, because you know it's going to go pin to pin. Um, so, from that standpoint, yeah, it just makes it a little bit easier blocking-wise, too. Um, You will see, I think on that slide, they'll run over um, on the side and they'll tip right over the block. Um, A lot of times pretty effectively that short tip right over the block. Mm -hmm. Um, And a lot of times that's because it's hard for that left back to kind of see that block and the off blocker has to come all the way across. So just a few things, like if you're hitting deep cross or you're hitting sharp, and then all of a sudden you throw in a short tip over the line, it just makes it difficult. And a lot of times defenders haven't adjusted or can't see
0: over that block. So for the, ma- for the purposes of the matchup with Marquette, does it help Marquette that they have a two-setter system um, for that play? Because, you know, even if you are having your setter kind of run into your, you know, the left side of your defense there, it's you have another one who can get your offense generated. Because, honestly, it feels like Marquette's got some holes in defensively. I think that's always the difference between Creighton and Marquette. I feel like Creighton exposed zone three a lot. Um, in the first matchup, and then either one of those corner, um, you know, those corner zones too. Marquette wasn't covering it up very well, and I think Creighton exposed it every time they were in system. Uh, does but does Marquette having a two setter, a two setter system with, uh, you know, help them match up better with that slide play, or is it is it all just about Creighton's execution, regardless?
1: Um, I think a lot of it is about execution, but. Yeah, I think at the same time, it does help them. I mean, when you have two setters, you're typically, you know, you have three attackers in your front row. Yeah. Um, so from that standpoint, typically you have a really strong attacker on both the right side and the left side yeah. for those out of system plays. Um, so yeah, from that standpoint, I think it does and just gives you more options. I mean, as opposed to if maybe the setter is over there and they're not setting her in those out of system balls, I think. Creighton can set up their block a little bit more easily on the outside and, you know, Mm -hmm. hopefully get a good block touch or a tough block.
0: Yeah. Um, One thing I wanted to touch on from this weekend was, uh, yeah, it's only, and it leads to a question. Is this related almost entirely to how disruptive Creighton was from the service line? They had 12 blocks on first ball first ball attempts by Villanova and Georgetown, 12. That feels like a really high number for me. Um, And they only got blocked twice offensively in those situations all weekend. So is that, is it, is, you know, when your first, your first ball attempt, um, that's either that, that, that tells you whether you're in system or out of system, right? The fact that you got blocked 12 times or Creighton got 12 blocks defensively against first ball kills does that, you know, that that ties into what you guys talk about a lot about how disruptive that that serve was, yeah? Because if, if your block is set up, it's usually, you know, connected with how good that serve was or how disruptive it was, right?
1: Yeah, typically, and especially on that first ball um, attack, I think a lot of it, I mean, some of it could be scouting too, just kind of knowing like certain scenarios that maybe they're going to find somebody versus, you know, maybe a middle or a right side or back row attack, but yeah, a lot of it, I mean, most of the time is truly getting them out of system and then that neutralizes kind of what they can do. And you can kind of, you know, ease up on maybe that middle attack strata system. Um, you know, you're not going to have a set or dump if, you know, they're pushed off the net too much. Mm-hmm. Um, so then it just becomes pretty easy to read um, and Korean has good size blocking. So yeah, um a lot of teams, you know, too, I didn't I mean think they were very effective at you know going over Creighton's block. So um from that scenario too, I think you know, if Creighton's set up and in good positions, I think you know yeah.
0: we will probably get a block. And Georgetown and Villanova both had I think pretty tall setters this weekend. But you didn't see I think Villanova only got one dump that I can remember. And you know, is that just is that just because Creighton just served nails this weekend? Because I don't know, 12 blocks on first ball kills feels like a, a good number. Feels like something that you know, if you're if your defense is doing that, it means I think you're serving pretty consistently.
1: Yeah, I think so and I thought there were times that the setters on the opposing team, you know, could have dumped and at least tried to dump a little bit. Really? Um and yeah, I mean, I just, you know, I feel like it, you toss that in every once a while and then Creighton has to focus more on you, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think that's even sometimes like a setter might dump and maybe she doesn't get the kill, but it's still helpful, right? Because the other team in the back of their head has to be like, oh, like she's going to dump. Mm-hmm. So their middle blocker has to maybe think about it a little bit more and maybe is late closing to a block. So a little bit is like a mind game almost with the blockers on the other side, just kind of keeping them on their toes. And I think that's why you see like, um, Kirsten, she, she loves setters that dump just yeah. because it creates such a game with the opposing team's blockers and really just helps you out offensively.
0: Yeah. And it and, and felt like Kendra was really aggressive with it too. Did you, what, what did you think of the call early in the Villanova match? Uh, you know, I think, you know, there's that lift, right? So I think they got Kendra for, for a lift call. That was a pretty big point at that time. um, it didn't feel like, but it didn't feel like it shook her confidence at all. I feel like she kind of was able to really like kind of laugh it off, and then she kept going to it when, when she felt like she had an opening to terminate. I think there was one even where Annika set her twice in a row. Do you remember that one? It was on two, yeah, yeah two overpasses by Villanova. Annika called the ball and set Kendra for two straight. Two, you don't you usually don't see that. It was an opportunity for Creighton to be in system, but Annika just called. Kendra it was really strange but they called Kendra's number twice <laughs> and she terminated it the second time. It was kind of funny but in terms of her just where she the way she approaches that it, it, there's nothing really in in terms of the gray area for Kendra, right? She should be feel should she feel pretty confident about the way she does that or is there some is she getting close to, you know, lifting a little bit? Do you feel like she has a good setter or a good setter dump?
1: Yeah, no, I feel like she does it really well, and I mean, she does it with a lot of power, Yeah. so at times, I think, I mean, that's why they called it, I think, and I I don't think it was the right call, but I mean, sometimes, you know, if you take it too far outside of, like, your body, you know, they'll call it, but... I don't know. I, maybe so she, you know, she was a victim <laughs> of her
0: own strength in that regard, then?
1: Honestly, probably. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I mean, sometimes I think maybe they call that somewhat early in the game to be like, okay, you can't be like throwing the ball, you know? Right, right. But I don't know. I mean, I think she was good
0: and yeah. she
1: keeps going after it, which is good to see. So
0: she does. I think, honestly, I thought the officiating was horrific all weekend. I mean, I don't know who that poor, um, back judge on well what side you would call that the opponent's side of the end zone or whatever but that man missed some obvious ones and I just think if you're honestly if you're gonna have a challenge system fine I guess it allows the officials to breathe a little bit easier because even if they miss one you can just review it you know that's a wink wink to UConn that didn't have review and missed some calls (laughs) um you got to have review in your gym and volleyball. Cause I don't know. I feels like there was, there was one ace. Kendra had the ace in the corner, that deep corner. And that mm-hmm. ball was, that ball was every inch of that ball was in all day. And he called that thing out and it's like, you can't, I know they have challenges, but you can't miss a call like that. You, you just yeah. can't, you know? So it's, it's, I don't know. I'm more and more disappointed every year with, with volleyball officials because I feel like they're leaning too heavily on that on that replay system because they know coaches have three green cards and they can pull them anytime. It's just, I don't know. And then we're talking about Kendra getting called for a lift because she's really strong. Like that's not a violation. That's a point. So, I mean, I, don't, I, don't know. I feel like, I feel like it's getting progressively worse and I don't like that trend. Um, But that's a, yeah. that's, a that's a side rant of my own. Uh, what else should we tackle here from this weekend? Let me see. Oh, there was a really big moment I think in set one where Creighton's passing started to break down a little bit um, late and Kiana had a Kiana Schmidt had a really big solo block where she was isolated against an in-system transition play from Villanova uh, and it wasn't one of those straight adder balls like she she got lined up on the right pin but she had to kind of close her hands a little bit uh, mm. to make that play. I thought that was just a really big play for her because I I don't, I I haven't seen her isolated much. Usually she's either in the middle or with Annika or Kendra on the right side. Right. So she's got a partner in most situations Mm -hmm. and that time she was isolated and then she came up with the play and it was, it was 22 to 19 at at the time and Villanova was on a little bit of a run and Creighton wasn't passing well. So it was like, this is the area where one run switches it. Right. And she made that play. and I think that's just, I don't know. I don't know if she's going to remember that. i It's funny because volleyball players and coaches don't usually remember that stuff when I ask them about it after matches. Like, when did that happen? So I don't know oh. if Kiana's going to remember that or not, but I think that was a big play for her that could be, you know, a confidence builder going forward if she, you know, just knowing that she can go one-on-one in a situation where it's not ideal. You know, Creighton didn't get a swing off of it. It was one of those things where they, you know, they sent a free ball over and Villanova was in system and, uh, Keanu was scrambling to the net and she was able to, you know, close her hands and get good con get a good touch and put that ball straight down. I think that's a booster for her. What did you think? Did you remember it at all?
1: Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Okay. Um, yeah. I mean, I just think blocks like that, especially when you're one-on-one are huge momentum swing, yeah. right? Like, it's just a huge momentum thing and yeah I don't know if she'll remember it but I mean they train so much um those middles just of diving and um you know just if you're not if your feet aren't there then you know just diving really hard into yeah. where that attack path is um but yeah to execute it in a game after you practice it often you know over and over and over again I think it's just so rewarding too um Just to kind of see that transition, and then it came at such a crucial time too Mm -hmm. that you know I just got everyone pumped up and really gave them I think the energy that they needed.
0: Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah, we because we talked about how Creighton's going to feel as a whole, where they probably I I don't they're not gonna they're not gonna probably watch the film of Do you guys want Do you guys go back and watch film of the previous matches?
1: Yeah, usually they'll pick out you know specific parts of it and then watch it.
0: Okay. So, yeah, Creighton's probably not going to feel great about how the Villanova match ended to wrap up the weekend just because, you know, they were up 17-3 to and they won 25-18. Like, there was just a lot of messy stuff at the end. Um, But I think there are moments, enough moments, especially being shorthanded because, you know, we don't know if Jayla Zimmerman will be available for next weekend, especially against Marquette. So... And Jayla is a huge safety net in so many ways for them, right? She's the leader on the court. She's the voice. She's the presence. She still will have that on the sidelines if she's not playing, but she's not there to kind of get you an out-of-system, a good aggressive out-of-system swing when when you feel like it's going sideways and you need someone to terminate. You know, that safety net isn't there uh, if she's not available. So I think a moment like that for Kiana, having Annika – what she have a, she had a career high eight blocks against Villanova. So that was one, of, you know, to go along with the seven kills, uh, Nora and Keeley both hit north, well, north of 250 in both matches this weekend, which means they're connecting well and feeling good with Nora or uh, Kendra, excuse me, um, Ellie Bolton, Kendra Wade, both served, I think their best weekends of the season. So there are really good building blocks for Creighton. Just isolating certain things, you know, Ellie and Kendra serving, Annika and Kiana on the slide, Kiana blocking um, out of system balls. Uh, Nora and Keely having good connection on that left side without Jayla Zimmerman in the sixth rotation, both in the in the back row left side with with Kendra, Kendra being aggressive, Kendra having more confidence from the service line. Creighton's blocking. Like we said, 12 blocks against first ball kills. There's a lot to build off of this weekend without your best player that I think can serve really well for Creighton's confidence. If they carry all that stuff forward into, into training this weekend, don't you think?
1: Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think everybody individually is going to have to kind of, you know, keep striving to be a little bit better. I think over, you know, these few days of practice that they get. Um, and then when they step out there on the court, um, you know, with Jayla or without Jayla, I think it's obviously going to be a dogfight. I think just playing Marquette always is and both teams are, you know, very highly talented. So I think it'll be fun, but just, you know, to see Creighton play well. And I think a lot of aspects, um, is important and hopefully, you know, they kind of fine tune that before next weekend.
0: I mean, did, did, uh, I don't know if you guys feel this in the locker room. Do you feel like you've got a best player when you're like, all right, we know who our, we know who to ride, like in big moments, like who's going to get our big kills or like, it's probably, it's probably a thing though, with this team being kind of young and certain so in certain positions, they probably understand that Jayla's, you know, Jayla's our one a and we fought, we go as she goes. So isn't there, there has to be a natural, feel to that right so without her you're probably searching for confidence a little bit so a weekend like this where you can isolate certain individual performances in some areas of the game is probably the best thing Creighton could have had in terms of people stepping up without you know their main weapon um, going into this weekend which sets up right now to be one of the biggest of the season right
1: yeah I mean I think you become aware, obviously, of, you know, people that are getting killed a lot of the time, or, you know, certain things like that. I think the hard part is you, as a competitive person, always want to be the best, right? Or like, you mm-hmm. want to have your best performance, and you want to get a lot of kills, you you know, you want to be really successful, too. So, that's kind of the hard part of um, the balance, you know, with, I mean having a leader on the team obviously and having somebody that gets towards a lot of points but at the same time when you step out there you know I'm sure Kiana's like I want to I want to get all the blocks I can I want to get all the kills I can you know Annika's thinking something similar Naomi's thinking something similar Keely is too and Nora is too so I think that's the part that you kind of see that everybody's just you know trying to play their best and mm-hmm. It could be anyone's night, but yeah, I mean, you have people that obviously consistently are playing six rotations and leading the team, maybe vocally or, you know, not vocally, but it's just, you know, no, it's a hard balance. And like you said, and this team, you know, is a little bit younger and has some people playing positions that, you know, they haven't played in college for very long. So yeah. it just, you know, becomes a little bit hard. And obviously, at times you have to look to people and, people that are going to score points. So um, yeah, I don't know. I think it kind of becomes a question mark of who's going to step up in big moments. So I think you'll see that this coming weekend um, where maybe you would think it'd be Jayla. Well, if she's not there, you know, who's going to do it. So right. I think that's the fun part of being a competitor.
0: Yeah. It, it is going to be interesting to watch it too, because the thing about Jayla is she does so many things. We talked about that early in the season. There really isn't a weakness to her game. She plays six rotations. She serves. She blocks. She passes well. She she terminates well. Back row, front row. Um, so to replace, like to replace her, you really need, you know, a unit, right? So when you look at who's who's handling, who's making up for Jayla's loss from the service line. Well, Ellie Bolton and Kendra Waite both stepped up this weekend and served really well, so they have confidence that they can be those players um, who blocked really well at the net in Jayla's spot on the left side. Well, Nora blocked really well. Keely blocked really well. So if they're in the front row on the left side, they know they can step up in that position. Um, passing, we know Keeley and Nora are both really good passers, and they both had really good passing weekends this weekend. I mean, I'm not great at scoring passing yet, but I'm, I'm getting better. But when I scored their passes, I felt like they passed. They got Creighton in system a lot, and I think that's okay. just really that's really what you want out of your passers, right? You don't you don't need them, you know, passing threes on the net every single time. But if they can they can get you at least two options most of the time, that's a really good pass in my opinion. So I thought Keely and Nora did a really good job of getting Creighton in system a lot. And so that's, that supplements some of Jayla's ability to, to pass well, right? So it's, it's just about replacing the facets, serving, passing, hitting, blocking, defense. Um, Creighton has talented players on the floor in those spots, even if they're not Jayla Zimmerman, to make up for Jayla Zimmerman, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, I think so. And I think, yeah, the way that you kind of explain it, I do think it's those different facets of, you know, who can step up blocking, who can step up and get us one more big, who can, you know, step up and get us two more blocks. Just, I think it's a whole shift and you really have to kind of shift your mindset. I think you might be asked to do things that you maybe aren't used to doing. I mean, the middles this season so far, I mean, really weren't getting very many balls, you know? And so I think you kind of see that shift from, okay, well, Jayla's is not out there. So maybe we have a couple less balls going to that outside pin. Okay, well, we have these opportunities to hit our middles and get kills. So I think it just becomes a shift of, you know, how the team approaches things. And you kind of have to make up for that in different areas and different things that maybe you weren't super comfortable doing at the beginning of the season, but you've mm-hmm. evolved as a team and now you get really comfortable running those middles or, you know, running those outsides in certain it's just it becomes a whole shift and i think that's the fun part and kind of the puzzle of putting your team together
0: i respect the fact that you immediately went to the middle attacks in terms of replacing if you don't know what if you don't know what position megan ballinger played in in college there she just told you inadvertently right there (laughs) i'm
1: partial to the middle what can i say
0: (laughs) it's okay i respect it um in terms of the matchup with marquette honestly it feels like every time Going into this thing, um, feels like Marquette's always got a lot of momentum. It feels like they're always on a winning streak, always putting really good volleyball together. The difference when Creighton and Marquette play to me is always, I feel like how good. There's not a big gap in talent, in my opinion. I think they're right there with each other, but like we talked about when they they played the first time, Creighton's won seventeen out of like nineteen against this team, and I think the difference is. There is a gap defensively. I think Creighton's a better ball-handling team. I think they're a better blocking team. And I think that has carried from year to year. It's always kind of been the case. Is there, is there something in that first matchup that you saw that lends you to believe that's still the case, that Creighton defensively um, matches up really well with Marquette, even as even as hard as they are to deal with offensively with the two setters? With Wolf being one of the more unique ones they've ever seen in terms of how involved she is offensively from getting people involved herself to terminating at a high rate like she does. Um, It's really like the only I've never seen a setter like her, but it feels like Creighton is fine matching up defensively with them still.
1: Yeah, you know what? I think a lot of it has to do with blocking. I think really? Ray and Scouts blocking really well. And I think they're prepared for different schemes that Marquette will run at them. And then I think behind that too, I think they do play really good defense. Yeah. So I think that's just kind of a little bit of the disparity that, that I've seen. And yeah, I don't know. I'd be interested to see like who is the best blocking team in the Big East. I, I don't know. I haven't looked at that sort of thing or know that, but it's just I don't know. I just think from a blocking standpoint, I think Creighton does a really good job just handling their attacks.
0: Yeah. No, that's – I'm just looking up the blocking to see if we can reinforce that real quick. (laughs) Yeah, Creighton is the best blocking team in the Big East.
1: Yeah, that's what I would have thought, but (laughs) –
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Creighton is at 2.62 blocks per set. UConn's at 2.52. St. John's is actually fifth. I'm surprised by that. But hmm. uh, um, yeah, Creighton's the best blocking team in the biggie. So that that it just reinforces your point there that that's kind of what Creighton might lean on this weekend, because they will be even without j they'll still be really big at the net. You know, Kiana and Annika are 6'2", six, 6'3", six, Naomi, 6'3", six, 6'4", six, uh, Keely and Nora are both 6'2", six, 6'3", six, in that range. And then Kendra is a really strong blocker, even though I'm not sure she's six foot. She elevates really well and she's really strong. So if she's got her hands, you know, if she's got two hands in front of the ball, it's probably not getting through. And if it's, if it does get through, it's probably not getting far. So um, yeah, the block probably is a key for Creighton right this weekend, because it's going to be Marquette's going to be, if they're going to be up for this one, like they're, they're going to be really fired up because they know they're already a game clear of the Jays in the standings even though they've dropped one. So like like I said, to start this episode, Marquette has a real opportunity here to kind of like get a comfortable lead on Creighton for maybe the first time since 2013, where if they, if they can get that win on Friday, they split the season series where each team got the win at home. But Marquette will be two matches clear of the Jays with UConn and Creighton, both, and DePaul. So the top three teams the top four teams in our opinion, right, Um, in the rearview mirror. They won't have to face any of those teams the rest of the, the last month of the season, and they'll have a two-match lead. I I would think that would feel pretty good if you're Marquette. Like, you feel like this is the opportunity to finally get over the hump if we can take care of what we can take care of and beat Creighton on Friday. it Like, we've got a really good chance of finishing this thing off and getting an outright Big East title for the first time since – you know, Creighton got a hold of it in 2014. They really, yeah, they haven't let up at all ever since then. So, it's a big match for both teams. What I'm curious about from your perspective is the target was always on your back as a player. Like Marquette was always chasing you every time you guys played them during the season. So it mm-hmm. felt like there was never an opportunity for Creighton to be the hunter in this matchup. Were you? Did you ever feel like you were, or did it not? Did you not try to think like that? first of all?
1: um, You know what? I think I was always aware. Um, You know, you're always kind of aware of Marquette and Korean, right? Like, the whole time I was there, it's Korean and Marquette. Like, top two spots in the conference.
0: So, your place Um, in the standings didn't really come into it? You just felt like, these are the two best teams. We got to play our best regardless?
1: I mean, I think so. And I think, you know, it's probably going to come down to you playing Marquette. I mean, that was the, you know – (laughs) <laughs> that was what happened to me always in the uh, big East tournament besides my last year, it was yeah. with Creighton Marquette in the final. Yeah. Um, so I think there's just some competitive like edge there for both teams. And um, especially for Marquette, I mean, I can imagine they are going to be so fired up for this match. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I mean, a single player on their team hasn't won a big East championship. So I think, you know, from that standpoint, if they can put some room between them and Creighton and, you know, hopefully lock it up, Yeah. Um, assuming that they take care of their other matches. Um, I mean, I would think they're so motivated and they'll really be ready to go. So, and I, you know, I think from a standpoint, there's a lot there too that they're fighting for. And, you know, maybe they don't come out on top in the regular season standings, but, you know, down the road in the tournament, they might play Marquette again and um, just to play a really good match against them. And to beat Marquette would be huge, I think, for their confidence.
0: Yeah, I do I just I can't help but think it's a unique opportunity for Creighton to put on a different if they think like that, to play a different role. Like the the big East tournament is gonna to be in Milwaukee this year. So that's one thing. You wanna you wanna know that you can play well in this gym, in this environment against this team for one. Two, if you don't if you don't play well on Friday and you lose, again, it feels like you're not it feels like you're gonna have a really hard time catching Marquette because of the way their schedule sets up. It, it, maybe that's too much to worry about. Maybe Creighton's not even going to talk about that because they're just going to focus on what they need to execute well on Friday and Saturday because the Paul is really tough. Like this is a tough weekend for the Jays. I think it's probably the toughest conference weekend. God, I'm trying to think of one where it just, li- I mean, maybe St. John's and Seton Hall had two really good teams one year and that East coast trip is always just tough. But man, I don't know. It feels like this is one of the tougher weekends Creighton's had in the big east in a while because DePaul's um, you know, a top 75. Bruce Rasmussen always used to say when he's assessing quality wins, he like he just maps out the top 75 teams. And he feels like anywhere you beat a top 75 team, you beat a quality NCAA tournament worthy team, regardless of where it was. Um, so DePaul fits in that category. They're a top 75 RPI team. Marquette's top, Marquette's top 30 to arguably top 25. So um, from that standpoint, it's a really difficult weekend for Creighton in terms of the opponents, the quality of the opponents, but it's just a, it's a, it's a different opportunity for the Jays historically speaking, because they get to, they get to paint a target on somebody else in the big East for once. And I, I'm curious to see how they play with that being the case, because Marquette is the team that's leading the league right now by, by a full match. And if Creighton doesn't win on Friday, it might be, you know, it might for all intents and purposes wrap up the title because I just don't, you know, Marquette's not going to face a difficult schedule the rest of the way. Creighton still has UConn left who beat them. Creighton still has DePaul left who is getting better. Um, They still have one more match with St. John's who beat them. So Creighton's schedule still has some challenges left in it. They still have to go on the road at Villanova. Um, They still have to play Xavier again. So Marquette's schedule gets easier after this weekend. So this is kind of Creighton's last chance to, you know, just keep themselves in that race, I think. Um, And it's going to be interesting to see if they go into it with that perspective of being the hunter because Marquette is leading the league. Or if it just feels like, you know, like a same old Creighton Marquette match, like you said, it's it's the two best teams. We got to play our best. We know that, regardless of what happens, that's that's the case anyway.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I I mean, I don't know. I think for Creighton, I mean, there's really nothing to lose, right? I mean, yeah. Hopefully they come out and just play really loose. I think that's the thing. I think that'll maybe allow them to just play a little bit more loose and. I mean, truly, I mean, they are chasing Marquette. And as much as they, you know, they probably won't talk about that. Um, But obviously, I mean, you know where you stand as far as wins and losses. And Marquette is leading the league. And, I mean, you can't get past that. So you, of course, want to knock off that person that's in that number one spot.
0: This is why I have someone who's smarter than me on the show so they can articulate what I'm saying better. Playing loose. (laughs) Creighton has an opportunity to play loose because the pressure isn't on them to run away. Marquette's the one leading the league right now. So, yeah, it just – it's a new – Creighton's always – I feel, always feel like Creighton is the – you know, gets, like, an unfair um, perspective on their season because they are usually the ones who are always being hunted again. Like, they're the ones who are being chased down all the time. So, it's up to them to keep – the opposition at arm's length at all times and I feel like that lends itself to not being aggressive because you can't always cut it loose if you have something to lose in the process but going into this weekend Creighton has only things to gain because they're already down in the standings you know what I mean so from that perspective it gives Creighton an opportunity just to be really aggressive because there's nothing to lose if you're aggressive you're already down.
1: Yeah, that's true. That's that's very true. And I think you'd seen that. I mean, I think I saw that too, even when I was there. I mean, you know, like a team, right? It's like an RPI killer. Yeah. And you talk about that. And at times, you know, maybe the team's like tense, just, you know, like we can't mm-hmm. lose, like we cannot afford to lose this mm-hmm. team. Mm-hmm. You know, so certain things like that, I think have come into play in the past. And yeah, I do think, you know, for the first time, this is really an opportunity where you're like, we just have to go out and win and hopefully they beat marquette and then you hope you know you don't have a letdown against DePaul. paul right think
0: yeah that's that it, the that thing really that yeah, yeah, yeah for sure that's
1: the thing where the next day your mindset has to be shifted like we can't lose to DePaul. we have to take care of business even you know if we win or lose against marquette like we need to take yeah. care of this next match
0: for sure yeah if they beat marquette on friday then the same old Stuff where they're like, okay, now we have to take care of business every time out because we have something to lose now. Then it'll re-enter the play. But for Friday, I think you can I think Creighton has nothing to lose by being as aggressive as they've been all season. Like, you know, like they did when they went into the Kentucky match. Um, you know, just where they had like something where there's like an era of energy doubting their ability to win. It just doesn't happen very often at this point in the year. At this point in the year. Creighton's expected to beat everybody they play. It's just a standard they've raised because they've been the table setter in this league going back all the way to 2014. That's just the way it's been. So when you create that standard, it's like Alabama in football. It's like Villanova in men's basketball. It's like UConn in women's basketball. You just have the target always there, and it's up to you to respond to everybody else chasing you. This is a rare opportunity for Creighton at this point in the year to – just approach it a little bit differently and i think that'll be interesting to see how it plays out on friday because i know marquette wants to beat Creighton bad i've talked to marquette <laughs> players over the years i know they hate the fact that it's a lopsided series even oh. though they've been a really good team in the process like they've had sweet 16 teams they've hosted regionals the one thing they haven't done is beat creighton and win mm-hmm. the biggest title against them even last year even last year, when it felt like Marquette was actually the better team, right? I don't, I don't like feel weird saying that. I thought the two matches in Omaha clearly showed during the season that clearly showed that Creighton had to dig deep to win the first one, and Marquette cruised in the in the in the rematch. So I felt like going into the Big East, um, Big East title match, that it was Marquette who should be feeling confident about this matchup because they've kind of asserted themselves as the better team in this league. Um, and I thought I saw Creighton dig deep to prove otherwise, so I'm curious mm-hmm. to see if that shows itself on Friday because I, again, I'm not doubting how Marquette's going to be. They're at home, they hate losing to Creighton, they're going to be up for this. I think it's all about how Creighton plays because I think at the end of the day. Like we said, defensively, I think Creighton matches up really well with Marquette because they scout well, they block well, and they cover the court, they serve well. Like there's, there's, there's elements to what Creighton does from a foundational standpoint that will give them an opportunity if they're playing well to win this match every single time. It's just if they can just not be consumed by, you know, what will probably be a great energized road crowd who wants to see them lose. Um, how they respond to that will be interesting. So that's why I'm kind of harping on the fact that they can be the aggressors for one of the few times in this league in the last, you know, seven, eight years. Um, that's all I got. You got anything else in the chamber still ready to fire off or are you good? You got it all out?
1: Oh, I'm excited. I'm just excited for these matches. I think yeah. it'll be good. And Paul is just, I think, a much improved team. Um, and I think even from the last time Creighton and DePaul played, so I'm just yeah. excited to see how it, how it all works out.
0: I'm with you. It's a, it's a, it's like one of those, it feels like it's a chance for Creighton to boost their resume in Big East play, which I don't think happens often, except for when they play Marquette. Like I said, like we, we think DePaul is pretty good. Like we think they passed yeah. the high test and their metrics show that they're a pretty good team, that they're certainly better. Um, so it is, I think it's one of Creighton's toughest weekends in the big East in a long time. So it is going to be and the fact that it's on the road and the fact that they might be without their best player, depending on how she, whatever her status is and how she progresses throughout the week, there's a possibility they aren't, you know, fully loaded for these matches. It's going to be fun to see how, you know, that, that championship moxie that is kind of always there with them, how that makes up for it. Right. It's going to be it's like it's just these are the big matches you love to cover and that's kind (laughs) of what it's you know and i imagine for you it's even insane more insane to play in so like for creighton they're probably fired up for this week right
1: yeah this will be this will be a fun time i mean this is one i think you circle on your calendar and uh it's just fun it's fun to travel to milwaukee and to chicago so Mm. fun places to play
0: cool All right, everybody. Well, we appreciate you tuning in as always. uh, We'll come back to you next week and analyze uh, the Marquette and DePaul weekend and look forward to what the month of November looks like for the Jays after Halloween. Um, For Megan, I'm Matt. Thank you for tuning in. We will talk to you soon.